Thank you, Tim. Thank you, praise team. Praise God. To whom? What an amazing way of leading us into the study of God's Word. And may we just take a moment and just revel in rejoicing and praising the Lord today. Uh, what an amazing gift He has given us in giving us Himself. Now here we are in the new year, and I know we're going to put a pause on our study through the book of 2 Corinthians, so that's not put away, it's just put aside for the moment. Uh, let me invite you, I'm going to ask you this morning to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We're going to do a, a one-off sermon in a, the book of Ephesians, and then next week and for the few weeks after that, we're going to be uh, in the book of Haggai, and I'll talk a little bit more about that before we return back into 2 Corinthians and, and finish that out. So, with all of that in mind, as you're turning in uh, your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, and if you didn't bring a Bible with you, you can grab one out of the pew rack in front of you, you can open it up to Ephesians, and then you can take it home uh, with you as our gift to you. Here we are, it is the new year, and we are seven days in. And uh, as we think of the new year, it's very easy for us at this time of uh, the year to think in terms of resolutions and things that we want to do and things that we want to accomplish. Maybe you have a book list of things that you're trying to read through. Maybe it's all manner of things that you did not accomplish in 2023. Maybe you made some resolutions on day number one and you made it to day number four and you're like, ah, forget it, Right? But it is helpful for us as we think as a church, not simply individually, but as a church, what ought we be resolved to do this year? How ought we resolve ourselves as a church? And that this today would not simply be something in terms of like getting a new hat for Christmas that we just sort of put on and we wear for a little while and then we toss it aside like we did everything else. That what we're talking about today really gets down into the DNA of who we are and how we must aim to be, not simply in 2024, but within the culture of our church itself. So grab your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 11, and we're going to read down through verse 16. And, and as we think of where we are within the book of Ephesians, you think of all the wonders of the declarations of God's sovereignty and the prayer for the growth within the church and salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and the unspeakable, or excuse me, unsearchable riches of Christ and praying that God would do more than we can even think or imagine, that we would walk worthy of the calling and walk in unity. With that in mind, we pick up in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 when we read this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that by your Spirit and for your glory, you would capture our mind's attention, or that you would capture our heart's affection, and Father, that we would see what you are calling us to here today. 
Father, that you are not calling us simply to make a resolution to something that we have no intention of keeping, but Father, you are walking us into the design for your church. And Father, that you would lead us in a way that would be both humbling and encouraging, that would be both convicting and compelling. And Father, we pray that your Spirit at work in our midst, that just as the prayer in Ephesians 3 reads, Father, that we ask for you to do more than we can even think is possible now in this moment. Lead us, Lord. Guide us for your great glory that we would be resolved as you have called us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we come into this text, we really see a framework that we're maybe familiar with. And we think of, you know, different offices within the church and what that looks like. And as we think of how this lays itself out, it's very helpful for us to think that we ought and we must trust God to equip us for Christian maturity. That as we think about that, we got to think about where we are aiming and where we are headed. And then we think of, okay, well, how has God provided for this? Well, He told us in verse 11, didn't He? In verse 11 it says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. That interestingly enough, if you just back up a couple of verses, we are reminded that in the victory of Christ and the power of what he has done and that he died on the cross for our sin and rose from the dead and that he pours out his grace, we also read that he gave gifts to men. He has given gifts to men in the church, in offices within the church. And it says he gave the apostles. And it's very helpful for us to define these terms rightly. Because as we think of apostles, we are thinking of those who are specifically eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ, who are commissioned by the resurrected Christ to speak on his behalf. You think of the apostles within the biblical text, and you think of those who are called in that way, and that as we stand right now, the apostolic authority that still rules and reigns today is God's Word as we have it in our laps. We're not looking for another apostle. God has spoken. God has given us His Word, and He has spoken clearly. So that's very helpful for us as we think of how we are going to engage and think about equipping the saints. We've got the content. We also have the prophets that He gave. Those who would go about and speak, thus says the Lord, who performed in many ways a preaching function under the immediate inspiration of God to provide guidance to the church before the New Testament was complete and to speak specifically into specific contexts with the truth of Christ. This same sort of role or position or office, as you might say, is still active in the sense that when we say, thus says the Lord, it must come from God's Word. There's a measure of accountability that's being laid out here so that we can clearly understand and know that whoever may stand up in front of you, whatever it is that they may be wearing, however slick or whatever else they may be, that you may know whether or not it has come from the Lord God Himself. God has given this to His church that we would have this kind of clarity. That's helpful, isn't it? We think of the evangelists, right? And when you think of evangelists, we're not just thinking in terms of those who have a tent and a team. 
We're thinking in those whose mission and calling is not necessarily to a specific church, but those who are preaching the gospel to the lost, who are pioneering with the gospel, who are going to the places where Christ has not yet been named. We can think of pioneer missionaries. We can think of church planners. We can think of any of those who turn the heart's attention and affection toward Christ in any way. God uses evangelists in wonderful ways to call people to repent and believe, and God gave this to the church. It is a gift. And he also gave pastors and teachers. And interestingly enough, if you're reading carefully there in verse 11, you'll see that there's, as you see the, the definite article, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, there's no the after teachers, the shepherds and teachers, which is, at least is some indication that we are tying these two things together. Pastor teachers, those who are shepherds of God's church, who care for a local flock, who have a specific calling to a specific people to lead and love and feed with truth. Not all teachers are pastors, but all pastors are teachers. And that the content of what is said must come from God's word as it has been given. So he's given us the content, he's given us the means of delivery and the sowers of the seed and the shepherds of God's people. But one of the hardest parts of teaching for any out there who are teachers is this constant answer of the question, why do we need this? Maybe you're a teacher who's been teaching seventh grade history and the kid raises his hand in the back it's like, what do I need to know this for? Or maybe you're in the midst of, you know, unpacking math class or you're working through some, something in physics and somebody raises their hand in the back, when am I ever going to need this? What is the point of all of this? Why would God give us all of this? Does He have a reason? Does He have a purpose? What is it that God is calling us to together as a church? Look at what He says. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. To put things into working order and to prepare for a task. But see, this is not just a matter of handing stuff out. This is not like handing somebody a tool and saying, okay, now you can just go figure it out for yourself. It wouldn't be like, you know, your, your child turns 16 and you just hand them keys to the car and you've never taught them anything about anything as it relates to, to driving and you say, here's the keys, go figure it out the, yourself. That would be a disaster, wouldn't it? I mean, it's hard enough thinking about teaching them what to do. It's a whole other animal if you just say... Take a shot. Scary. But as we think of equipping the saints, it's not only knowing the word, but being ready to use it. Because when you're equipped, when you see what's going on, you're ready to do the work of the ministry. But we must be clear here that in equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, we are not subdividing the kingdom of Christ. We're not creating a class of people up here who are just the teachers and everybody else who does the work, unless you're willing to say that the pastors and teachers are not saints either, which maybe you're willing to say that. I don't really know. We're all supposed to be engaged in the work of the ministry. 
We're all supposed to be equipped by the Word of God, all supposed to be humble enough before the Lord that we are walking in faithfulness with Him, being equipped by Him, ultimately seeing how He's at work with those who are around us to teach us and lead us and guide us to, by the Word of God, do hard things for Jesus. Or even often to just do the simple things for Jesus. You can think of how the disciples were with Jesus when they said, teach us to pray. Or when Jesus is, you know, they're asking him questions about forgiveness. How often should I forgive somebody who sins against me? Seven times? No. No, the grace of God is much too lavish for that. If they repent, 70 times seven. Teach us to love. Teach us to endure with joy. Teach us to live sacrificial lives. Teach us to have words to say in the hardest of moments and teach us wisdom to know when we just need to be quiet. We all need this, don't we? Because there's a lot of work left to be done. And that is, we think of our own church individually, we need a plan for how we're going to do this. And here's what it's going to look like. Many of you know that for the past several months, we've been doing gather and go every other Sunday night. We're going to change this into what we're going to refer to as equip and engage. So on the third Sunday of every month, we're going to have a time of equipping. It's going to start, we're going to work through a a book called Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life. We'll have copies uh, for you to purchase next Sunday. We're going to start unpacking, really getting the basics down of making sure that we are are, are walking in God's Word, walking in prayer, walking in the basic spiritual disciplines of being with Christ and being trained by His Word. And that in so doing, once we have those times, then we are going to engage our community with the gospel on the remaining Sunday nights. So on the first Sunday night of the month, we're going to engage our community in strategic ways. That we would, we would take the opportunity, maybe grab somebody from your small group, cook a meal together and go deliver it to one of your neighbors who might need it. Go visit somebody who's in the hospital. Go and meet somebody on their front porch that you know needs the gospel. Come and bring somebody with you to say, hey, maybe I haven't articulated this clearly. Maybe they'll hear it more clearly from you. Go and love one another. Go out to eat and engage the staff. Go to a park with people from your small group and engage people with the gospel. Taking what we are learning and then equipping, being equipped to engage our community with the gospel of Christ. Not in ways where we're simply knocking on doors, not that that is unfruitful because we've seen God do some amazing things, but ways in which it's much more organic to our regular lives. And maybe you're thinking, okay, well, what do we do with the rest of the month? Well, that we would strategically engage our families as well. That we would encourage you to take time to specifically walk with the gospel into the lives of your own family of your immediate family and those within your own house, of those maybe your distant family and those who need the gospel, that as we think of the vision of the church as we are pursuing it, that we are called to magnify the Lord by making disciples of Jesus Christ among all peoples. That our mission as the church is we exist to equip the saints for ministry and engage our world with the transformative truth of Christ. 
that tonight we will gather together and pray and start walking through how God is convicting us and leading us and guiding us to not simply embrace a strategy, but to embrace faithfulness to God's Word and what He has called us to do as a church. That we would be equipped and engaged for what? What does He say in verse 12? For building up the body of Christ. That ministry builds the body. Ministry is really just a word that means service. And as we think of building up, the whole picture within the Greek text is setting a bone, putting things in working order to be strengthened and be fully functional, to put what remains in order in the words of Titus. Because we need to grow. And I'm not simply saying need to grow numerically, although I am saying that too. We need to grow in depth. We need to grow in worship. We need to grow in radical walk with Christ where we just walk in the worth and worthiness of who He is and what He has called us to and that we would exalt Him in every aspect of our own lives so the church would be built up. We would see new people come to faith in Christ as we rejoice every time that happens, that disciples would be made and walked with, that we would see growth in godliness and holiness. And at this point, you may be thinking, well, just like with any other sort of agreement, we like to know the terms of the arrangement, right? We want to get the fine print. What are we looking at here? How long is this supposed to last for? Well, look at verse 13. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's like defining the destination and naming the target. Until we all attain the unity of the faith. Every man, woman, young person, child, parent, widower, Whomever you may be, unity of the faith, unity in the gospel, that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that if God were merely just, we would all deservingly go to hell, but God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What an amazing Lord we have. And that we cannot accomplish the mission unless we are all walking in the same faith. If we are walking the same gospel, that we have the right knowledge, as he's described it here, the knowledge of the Son of God. And that this is not just reciting facts. This is knowledge through relationship. So many times we can find ourselves where we can just quote Scripture and rattle it off. But are we moved by Him? Do we we sit here now and think of how great His grace is as we look back upon our past, we look back upon our history, whatever that may look like, and we recognize the fact that I had sinned against a righteous and a holy God, that I deserve wrath, but in grace He gave me salvation and everlasting life. 
And that he not only saved me, but by his grace transformed me and leads me in his grace. And there's hope and there's joy and all the worth and worthiness of the gospel. He is the only one between me and an eternity's worth of wrath. He took it, died, and rose again. What a Savior. That we would not simply know the facts, but we would know him and walk in relationship with him. Do we all attain that? Do we all, attain, do we all have that now? Are we all walking in that now? Can we honestly say that's where we all are to, at this very moment? He even goes on to define it, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. To maturity. That we're not simply aiming to get people in the door We're aiming to lead people to maturity in Christ. There's a difference. To know Him, to live for Him, and to live for Him for the right reason, which is His own glory. And that part of maturity is not simply unpacking complicated things and being able to handle all the nuanced details of all the ways in which we can get into interesting conversations about all manner of different things. So much of maturity is doing the simple things well, isn't it? Of being faithful in the moment. Because if you can do the simple things well, you can handle the more complicated things. That's why we're always, whenever we're watching basketball on the television, right? We're like, this is a sloppy mess. If you could just get the the fundamentals down, you could handle all of this other stuff. Maybe you're sitting there with your math class and you're thinking the same thing. You're like, if you could just get the fundamentals down, then we can move on to, to other things and you can see the amazing intricacy of how God has designed things. This we're aiming to maturity. Maturity in Christ is not this sort of self-righteous swagger where we know all of the answers, but it's actually an ever-increasing reliance upon the grace of Christ. It's a deepened humility before Him. And that our goal is not simply that people barely miss hell, but that they all know Christ well and live for His glory. And the gauge and the measure, as we may say it, is the stature of the fullness of Christ. Or to say it, Another way, Christ-likeness. To be more like Jesus. To forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. To love one another as the model of Christ has already been laid out for us. That we would have this mind among us which is ours in Christ Jesus. A humble mind that lays life down for the benefit of others. And it helps to pause and think, how mature are we? How Christ-like are we? And it's not all discouraging news. We can talk about stories in here of, of, of wonderful ways in which people have cared and loved for one another through the most hard circumstances with clarity of the gospel, and we've seen the hope and life and light of Christ carry you through. We can tell those stories. We ought to share those stories, and by God's grace and for His glory, we will. 
ways in which Christ's likeness affects daily life and marriages that are transformed and singleness that is focused on the glory of Christ and worshiping in the moment and rejoicing always and praying without ceasing and giving thanks in all circumstances and embracing the will of God for us and sanctification in all things. Because whatever it is that we're full of, it's going to come spilling out, isn't it? Whenever we fill that cup to the brim, what's in there? Because eventually life is going to jostle us, and whatever's in there is going to come spilling out. And unfortunately, we're seven days into the new year, and we've had some things come spilling out, haven't we? Some of them are great, some of them are not. How are we walking here today? What is the result of pursuing maturity? What are we ultimately getting at? Look at verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. He says that we would no longer be children. He actually uses the word here for infants. Who cannot speak. Infants who have to eat half-digested food already, right? For any of, any of y'all who have kids and you remember the days of, you know, feeding them the, the baby food, and sometimes you accidentally get the stuff off the shelf and you're like, oh, I wonder what this is, and it's like turkey, gravy, ground up, chicken, something in there, and you stir it up and you're like, oh, I should taste it first before they do, and you've regretted it ever since. <laughs> but see, an infant just has to sit there and take it. They can't feed themselves. They have to be fed. They have to be told. They make messes upon themselves that others have to clean up. See, God wants His children, His adopted children by His grace. He wants us and certainly rejoices in our new life in Christ, but He wants us to grow up. That we may have a real axe to grind as you think about prolonged adolescence as a societal thing, but we need to take it more seriously within the church. Are we growing up in maturity in Christ? Because there's a protective element in this. This is an expression of God's goodness that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves. Maybe you remember when your kids were little and you bring them to the beach for the first time and you're right, they're still wobbly on their legs a little and you sort of put them right out there in the water and you want to see if they can, you know, stand up to it and it doesn't take much and they come plopping right down you go and you get them and you hold them up. It doesn't take much because when you're an infant, you just don't have the strength. You're reliant on everyone who is around you. See, God is leading us to where we can take the waves of life and hold up under His truth by His Spirit at work within us, no longer tossed by the waves. Because the waves of life hit, and they hit hard. And so oftentimes they hit suddenly. And some of y'all may be sitting in here even today having been hit by one of those waves. And the only thing that's holding you is the anchor in the truth in Christ. That you're nourished by the truth and you know that no matter how strong the waves may be, they are not stronger than your Father who made all things. 
That we would be equipped and engaged for this. Not simply for us, but for everyone who's around us, for the children in our homes, for the children in the schools around us, for our community and our friends and our loved ones and our neighbors, equipped to engage with this, that we would no longer be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Somebody is discipling us. We may say, well, I'm not being discipled in Christ, but you're being discipled by someone. Are we more discipled by Fox News and Facebook than we are by Christ? We need to be careful here that we are not being led around by every wind of doctrine. That our truth, that truth in Christ is the only hope for this world in which we live. That is so full of false gospels. God has not called us to everything being comfortable and easy. God has called us to rejoice in Him. That we can even rejoice in suffering, because we know the result that he's bearing forth in our lives, perseverance, and in the end, hope, that we would not be trapped in all the things of human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes, everything from the ways in which trying to trick people into things that you know are false and ways of thinking about human identity, and ways of thinking about gender, and ways of thinking about marriage. We can go on and on down the list because the whole idea is that those who are children are gullible. That's why so many older people love walking up to children and, you know, playing the, the age-old jokes like, I found a coin in your ear. Or walking up being like, got your nose. What you don't realize is after somebody's done that once to the kid, they're like, oh, this again, right? Children are gullible. We're not meant to be gullible. But see, we don't necessarily need to go through and study every aspect of everything that is false. We simply need to be engaged and equipped with the truth because once we know the truth, then we can see what is false. Lean into the truth. Know what Christ has revealed. Walk with Him. And recognize there are so many needs around us because we're not talking about these things just in, you know, sort of academic terms. We're talking about real people with real needs. There are real people who are really deceived. Real people who really need real hope right now because everything that they've tried thus far has not worked and will not provide. Real people who need to really know that there's real forgiveness and there's real life in Christ. And the time is now. The time for us is to embrace this is now. To be equipped to engage in the work of the ministry that God has given us. That God has provided everything necessary for the glory of Christ to build the church and reach the community. And as we engage in the ministry, we must do so having been equipped by God. That's really verse 15 and 16. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Speaking the truth in love. So instead of being knocked all over the place, instead of being, falling into all the tricks and traps and, the, and everything else, instead of all of that, we speak the truth in love. That love without truth is a lie. 
And truth without love is a weapon. But when you put those two things together, the content of our lips being truth and the posture of our heart being love, that we can warn those who are headed for destruction and we can encourage them to repent and believe that Jesus died and rose again and there's life in Him. That we can encourage one another with hope and be honest about suffering and trials and we can love with the truth and that we are to grow up in every way, every aspect of life, every area of life into Christ who is the head. We are not meant to be a bunch of disconnected pieces. We fit together. Now what's amazing as we think about this is you look around and you're like, I never would have put this bunch of people together. But Christ did. Isn't that amazing? That every person is necessary. And that we're not meant to be like the Lego kit that you bought last year and waited an entire year to build it for your children. We're meant to be put together. And that you may be, you, you know, you've worked with the Lego packs now and you open them all up and you may be looking at that tiny little piece and you're like, is this really necessary? And then you get... Three pages into it, you're like, oh man, that's crucial. If you didn't have that, the whole thing would fall to pieces. It's very easy for us to fall into the trap. This is his church. This is, this is, his, this is his body. Every piece matters. Every piece is necessary. He will use every single one of us. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ He is the one through whom we are nourished. He is the one who has authority over all things, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Who is the one who's putting all this thing together? Jesus is. Isn't that exciting? Isn't it amazing to look down the pew at one another? To hear the voices of one another as we sing praises to the Lord. And think, who put that person there? Christ did. Maybe you're here this morning and you just happened here by accident. I I beg to differ, it's no accident. Christ is inviting you to himself, maybe to trust him for the first time. Christ is inviting you to engage in the wonder of the ministry of the church here as we are equipped together to glorify him in all things. And that when every joint with which it is equipped, when it's working properly, makes the body grow. We don't get to tell God how we want to fit. It's his design. But when one part isn't working, it affects everybody else. We're meant to reach this community together. We're meant to make disciples of Jesus Christ together. We're meant to walk in the wonders of family discipleship and family worship together. To love and encourage each other to grow together. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, it's not just grow in number and grow in strength, but it's grow in faithfulness, it's grow in Christ-likeness, it's grow in love. Don't we want this for our church? It's a wonderful gift of the fact that as, as we look at one another here, This is not simply an institution. 
This is a family. This is a body. We each have a, pl- a place, a role to play. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you're a part of His church. You're meant to be a part of a local expression of the body of Christ. Why? To be equipped so that we may engage in the ministry and watch as God builds His church up in love. The love of Christ that saves us. The love of Christ that sustains us. The truth is our blood Love is our heart. Christ is our head. Are you ready to engage? Are you ready to grow? Are you ready to be resolved, to be equipped and engaged for this new year? Not only do you have the opportunity to respond here this morning, I want to invite you to be here tonight as well. And tonight is really going to be almost a self-guided prayer time, unpacking different aspects of thinking through this new year, of thinking through your own life, of thinking through your own walk with Christ, of thinking through all the ways in which you are thinking about the truth of Christ at work in your own life in this moment. But I also want to encourage you here today, not only to be here for that tonight, but also have to acknowledge the fact that there are some here who have aren't a part of the body of Christ. Because if you have never repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ, who lived in perfect righteousness, who died on the cross bearing the full outpouring of the wrath of God against your sin, who rose from the dead three days later, if you are not trusting Him for salvation, you're not a part of His body. What a gracious gift and what a wonderful kindness it is that he gives opportunity to become a part of his body. See, nobody in here comes deservingly. Nobody in here comes saying, I earned this. Nobody in here has a self-righteous finger to wag in anybody's face. The only entry is repenting and believing, turning away from your sin and trusting that Jesus died for you. Jesus rose again and there's forgiveness in life in Him and in Him alone. Won't you respond to Him today? Won't you hear the invitation to be a part of His body, to be a part of His people, ultimately to have Christ as Savior, God as Father, and eternal life as your hope? Respond to Him today. Resolve to be equipped and engaged in the new year. However the Spirit leads in your heart and life today, respond. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we are asking big prayers. For we know what you have called us to. Father, may we not take it lightly. Lord, we pray right now for those in our midst in this very room who have never trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord. 
who have never recognized their own sinfulness and recognized that there's a remedy for their own sinfulness. Father, we pray that the light of your holiness and the light of your truth would bring people to conviction of sin, that they would run from their sin, repent and believe that Jesus died and rose again for them, that he is the sacrifice of our atonement. He is our forgiveness. He is our only hope. And Father, we pray that you would turn hearts to him even now as we pray. And that you would build your church. Father, that you would convict every single one of us to be engaged in the mission that you have called us to. To admit there are areas in our own lives for every single one of us where we need to be further equipped by your truth. And that we would commit not only to be humble before you, eager to learn, but ready to work. Father, we ask that for your glory. We ask that for the salvation of our loved ones. We ask that for the light penetrating the darkness of our own community and our own world. Father, lead us and guide us together today to respond to you in a way that brings you glory and honor. And Father, we ask all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.